0: Welcome to Twinning Australia with your hosts, Matt and
1: Nat. Welcome to Twinning Australia. So it's I'm really excited for this episode because we have a special guest, Tara will be joining us and she comes with a wealth of experience and knowledge and I'm sure you'll get a lot out of this episode. I know we are, we've been really excited for this episode, Nat.
0: Yeah, I, I can't believe the guests that we've got today because, Tara, you've just got some amazing background in not just one set of twins but two set of twins and your mm. the story you've given me just through Messenger to this point, I'm just like, there's so much to hear from from you. So um, first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Where are you coming from? I'm from Melbourne, so outer eastern Melbourne. Amazing and you also said in our chat previously that you've got mm. a, you're with a group of multiples which we'll touch on later on but um, Mm. yeah so any Victoria mums out there you know if you're looking for a group or anything like that you can reach out to us and we can speak to Tara and help you out if you want to get some connections going but yeah look I thought we'd sort of open up today's chat with just to ask you the fact that you've got two sets of twins (laughs) if you want to just go through us with us their age their genders and uh, what type of twins they are
2: Yeah, that's right. So we've got um, four-year-old identical twin girls and we have six-month-old non-identical twin boys. So we've gone the opposite end of the spectrum in every way possible. And yeah, we are in the thick of things as any twin parent would know with the six-month-olds.
0: Yeah, six months, like you've got the older set of twins, but (coughs) now you've got a set of six-months. When you saw the second lot on that scan how did you feel and what were the what, what were you like thinking at the time you're like oh my gosh
2: um well it was during COVID times lockdowns and it was probably one of the few places in Melbourne where you could have your partner at the scan and I'll just forever be so grateful that he was there because I don't think he would have believed me um if I had to have made that phone call and we both Saw what was on the screen and both immediately knew what we were seeing because we'd seen the two before and just the, <laughs> the um, we were just in shop. We was, I think we sat in the car park for like an hour afterwards in the car, just like stunned mullets um, <laughs> that we were going to go through all of it again.
0: I think we were the same, like we saw the two sacks and the two jelly beans in there on Mm. that first sort of picture and then and then I think we spent the rest of the hour drive home just laughing in the car in just absolute shock.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's something visceral about it. It's just pure shock. I know the first time I found out it was sort of this panic shock of how can my body do this? Like it was really physical. It was like, oh, my God, what is this going to be like? Um, And then the second time it was really about like the... Yeah, the logistics of, of life with twins again and going through that early baby period again. We're just oh God, here we go.
1: Did you expect it? Because I know that we've sort of found out that as you get older there's more chance of throwing twins again. And I know Natalie and I Yeah, Natalie and I talking yeah. about potentially the future and if we go again, um, which let's just yeah. get through this ones first, but that... <laughs> there's a higher chance of actually getting twins the second time
2: around? Yeah. Well, um, with our girls being identical, um, just for those listening who may not be aware, identical twins, the the current science says that that's not genetically inherited. Um, It's a spontaneous fluke where an egg just splits. Um, so as far as we were concerned, we really had no greater chance of having another set of twins again, than perhaps someone who might already have a non-identical set of twins. That's where the woman's ovulated twice. And of course that could happen again quite easily. Um, so yeah, it it was in our thinking and rationale about whether we go back for number three and we thought, Oh no, you know, like they're identical. We're probably not going to have another set. I am in my, I was, I think 34 when, um, We conceived the boys, so even though I was, you know, pushing the mid-30s, I wasn't thinking that I felt like a particularly older mum and that I might um, be falling into that sort of bracket, which um, is perhaps naive of me, I don't know. But, um, yeah, it was certainly a shock to the system um, to... It was just completely unexpected to have another set of twins.
1: Is there twins in your family?
2: (laughs) There's so... They say that it can run, non-identical twins can run down a maternal line. So that's the current science. Um, That can change a bit. I think they're looking at whether there's something genetic going on with identical twins. But for present purposes, they're saying, right, non-identical twins can run down a maternal line. My great-grandmother had one set of non-identical twins. So arguably perhaps. But then like we're from a really big extended Irish Catholic family like there's another you know three generations four generations since where it hasn't come out anywhere else so um it doesn't seem to be predominant in our genetic tree no.
0: So really what you're saying is you're pretty much just full of flukes?
2: (laughs) Pretty much much. there was nothing in our story to suggest that there was going to be another set um And I don't know how true it is, um, but I'd read somewhere online that the chance of having another set of twins after an identical set is, like, less than the chance of being struck by lightning. Oh, wow. Um, So the truth of that or not, I have no idea. I'm certainly not putting it out there as gospel, um, but it must be pretty rare.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Is it safe to say that when it's storming you don't go outside?
2: Yeah, well, it depends how you look at it. Everyone kept saying, oh, you need to buy a lotto ticket. And I was like, really? Like, have I lucked out? Am I unlocked out? I don't know which. No, we adore them. Um, but, yeah, it's just, um, yeah, as you say, when it rains, it pours.
0: And you're, like, right in the thick of it now. So, as you said, uh, you're, your youngest is six months. So, they're still quite young. But are you noticing any differences in the personalities between the sets of twins?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, Look, I think as a parent, you will always notice differences even between very similar children. So I think to the outside world, our four-year-old girls probably come across as very similar in terms of their temperament and the way they behave. But to us, they're, of course, their own little people with their own personalities and quirks. For the boys, they've their temperaments seem pretty similar in the sense they're both very giggly, very smiley, but they've had very different experiences. One of our boys was severely growth-restricted. And he's had a really bumpy road, medically speaking. So um, there's certainly differences in the way they're developing um, because of some of the medical issues that Jack's been facing.
0: And how is he doing now?
2: Yeah, we're still in the thick of it. He's having Mm. bowel surgery next week. So he's just had a number of things that have cropped up along the way. And he's had trouble establishing feeds, which can happen with really growth-restricted babies. Um, So he's still fed to a nasogastric tube. So, like, he's tracking along, like, well, like, you know, we don't have to sit here and and be critically worried about him. But, yeah, he's just certainly got some hurdles that we're having to jump over that we're not going through with his brother.
0: Well, you're certainly a brave mum. Yeah, I can't put my head around that at the moment. But, um, yeah, we we obviously wish you all the best and hope he he goes well. And and definitely uh, let me know how he goes after that surgery too because we'd be definitely interested to hear how he's progressing. But... I mean, any tips on survival for other mums that may be facing that the early stages of two sets of twins and perhaps those sort of complications that can come along with
2: with the with the little ones? Yeah, so I guess you know with any set of twins, um they are considered a, a higher risk pregnancy and complications are more likely to arise. There are some sets of twins, of course, that are more at risk than others. Um, But really, for any set, they could come premies, and you might find yourself having an extended NICU or special care stay. I guess my main piece of advice there would be that having a multiples pregnancy, one of the benefits is knowing that really early. Because for someone who might suddenly find themselves with a bub who's unwell or premature, I would imagine that would come as a real bolt out of the blue. Whereas with multiples, you're at least given some sense that that could be the path you go down. So one of the things I found really helpful in my first pregnancy with the girls was, I guess, just to be not worried, but quite aware um, and that they could be pregnant and that it would be unlikely that I'd reach full term and that it would be fairly likely a special care stay or something like that would be in our story. And the reason I think that's so important to think about quite early on in your pregnancy or throughout your pregnancy is because things are just that much easier to deal with once you've already come to terms with them a bit. I think things become really difficult when the experience that you're suddenly in is just completely different from what you'd envisioned. But if you've already accepted it somewhat that your bubs might not be with you when you've given birth. You may not get that cuddle as soon as you've given birth to them, That um, they may need medical attention. It's about trying to accept that during the pregnancy and actually being grateful for the medical care that's there, which I think is the strongest way to prepare yourself for that because it is a hard road, but I certainly think it would be much more difficult if you, you were fighting that idea or you hadn't come to accept that idea yet. But I know with our girls, they took us into the special care unit before they were born, even before I went into labour, just to show us what it was like. Um, And I felt quite comfortable and prepared for the idea that that was probably going to be part of what we went through with them. Um, And then likewise with the boys, um, you know, it was a really rocky pregnancy with Jack's growth restriction. But again, sort of arming myself with a bit of knowledge about what a NICU stay could be like um, and what things might look like for a baby who was that small because he really had barely even reached a kilo and he was born at 34 and six days. So he was tiny for that gestation. So it was really about arming myself with information and setting my expectations at a level that were likely to come true, basically, so... Yeah, try not to fight what may be coming and just arm yourself with information and, and be okay with the idea that they might be coming for you.
1: I think that's great mm-hmm. advice and it's something that we've been sort of looking at too and just hearing your story, is it safe to say, and obviously we haven't met, but is it safe to mm-hmm. say that I know our obstetrician was talking about that sometimes one twin will grow rapidly compared to the other twin? Is that what happened to you?
2: Yeah, so in some pregnancy twin pregnancies, it's more common than others. And we weren't in the bucket of type of twin pregnancy where it was really on the cards. So they're the pregnancies where there's the shared placenta and things can go quite awry. Um, so they each had a placenta of their own. So it was a little bit une- unexpected, but it was very prominent from as early as the 20-week scan um, to the extent that there were questions about the viability of what was then called twin B. So there were some really difficult discussions to be had and it was really just a case of very, very tight monitoring and for quite a long period of time just really being in the dark about how he might or may not progress. Um, But thankfully, he sort of got to the point, I think when it was about 32 weeks or so, like really far along at that point where he sort of kicked over into a, a tiny little growth spurt that really helped because we'd been advised that sort of that kilo mark is a little bit of a magic number for plenty microprems micro prems, but it can really um, make a big difference for their future prospects. So yeah, it was a, it was a tight, scary race, but yeah, thankfully he got to a kilo and at that point they decided an emergency Caesar was appropriate.
0: It- blows my mind thinking about a little one being born at around that kilo mark because yeah like I mean I've, I've seen videos of course online of these things as you do mm-hmm. your doctor google through pregnancy um, yeah. and then you see the little ones and it's just I mean I can imagine it would be so heartbreaking but knowing that they're in the right care and they're being looked after by the right people hopefully is somewhat reassuring to obviously all the concerns that you might have but do you mind if I ask did like the mm. fact that they took you to the NICU unit to show you and kind of get you comfortable mm. with the surroundings, were you through private or public?
2: Yeah, that was public. Yeah. So um, it actually didn't happen the second time around with the boys when it was very clear that we were absolutely going to end up in the NICU. Um, I had the girls at a smaller, almost regional public hospital and perhaps that was the reason why I got that kind of level of service where um, I think it was at one of my later obstetrician reviews they were like you know there's there's a real possibility that they'll be prem I was coming in for really regular monitoring because I had something called cholestasis and the the special care unit was like across the corridor and so one of the midwives was like hey let's take you over and show you around because you may well end up here So um, it it didn't happen the second time and when we absolutely knew we were going to end up at NICU, that was a different hospital. But, yeah, it was in that smaller hospital where we got that level of service, which was lovely.
0: And it's interesting that you mention that in the hospital because so we had a bit of a preterm labour sort of scare at 34 weeks and our obstetrician at the time was explaining to us that in our particular hospital they don't take Premies. 32 weeks and below because they're not mm. they're not specialized in that unit and yeah. they also 1.8 kilos I think was the limit that they would also Very take nice. too so mm. actually recently uh, my obstetrician had a twin mum come in at the same time as I did uh, as a new patient of hers and she ended up delivering at 24 25 weeks her yeah. set of twins and my obstetrician didn't even see her like she had to go to a different hospital and. Had to go to you know the the specialised NICU units. So I think that's also Mm. something for mums, as you've mentioned, you know, to to think about and be prepared for. Depending on what hospital you're at, will depend on sometimes what level of care they can provide premies But Mm. with your experience, is there any sort of do you have any tips for any mums out there that might be facing some NICU stay or currently in the thick of it of how to sort of survive it?
2: Yeah, for me it was. Well, it is a matter of survival. I think when you're in the NICU mode, like it's literally just putting one foot in front of the other and dealing with what gets thrown up at you. And because for a NICU stay for a bub that's really quite prem or really quite growth restricted, there's just a whole lot of medical stuff that you really just don't ever envision and doesn't come up in your pregnancy Google searches. Like it really did feel like a whole new world. So it's just keeping your eyes and ears open and finding the nurses and doctors that you feel like you have a good connection with and really asking them lots of questions and making yourself feel comfortable um, with what's going on for your bub. And look, when you're in the thick of the Niku stay, I think I just had to keep coming back to feeling grateful for the medical care um, because otherwise it was just, it felt like too too much of a difficult experience. But one of the things that was so powerful for me like at the time that our boys were in NICU, um, the war in Ukraine had just started. And there was this photo doing rounds on social media of these NICU babies in a bomb shelter with the nurses like pushing, like hand pushing the pumps of the CPAP that were keeping my baby breathing. And I just thought, wow, like in another time and place, I've had four preemie babies now. You know, who knows what our family or our lives would look like if we didn't have that medical care and attention. So I just had to keep coming back to that like we're lucky to have this we're lucky to have this it feels crappy you want your babies with you you want them to be healthy Um, but I just had to keep reminding myself that like they were getting world-class care and that was the best thing for them.
0: I think that's that's the perfect mental mindfulness to approach a situation I, I know you're in it seems like it's the worst thing you possibly could be going through but just to compare it to something else to try and get that sort of positive vibes to to get you I think I would assume you would agree like you're just basically taking it day by day
2: yeah you are yeah you're taking it day by day and you're just trying to um yeah trying to find some silver linings and um the I guess the other thing to say is that Nicky nurses are just angels on earth chat to them like become friendly with them, open up to them um, because they will stand by your side in a way that's really, really powerful. Like I get, I want to choke up when I think about Jack leaving special care. Like we were in newborn, which is like a combination of NICU and special care at the hospital that we were at. Um, he was there for well over 100 days and we had to keep being readmitted for various things as well. And like I felt like they were giving us a standing ovation when we left. Like they were so thrilled to see him sort of going to his next stage. And it was just beautiful. They all um, genuinely felt so much joy for us going to that next step. So, yeah, it was lovely.
1: He sounds like a fighter. I um, am a big believer in things happen for reasons. And, you know, that. whilst sometimes it's hard to see that at the time, there's a reason behind it. And he definitely sounds like a fighter and he can handle it. So that's fantastic to hear.
2: Yeah, he's been doing well.
0: And can I ask, have you had the chance to take him back yet now that he's, you know, he's starting to grow and he's hopefully (coughs) getting a little bit more of a bit of a fatty around him to see the nurses again?
2: Yeah, that's right. So, yes, because he he still does have a number of um, sort of medical things that are being closely monitored. So we're regularly at the children's hospital that's connected to, to where I gave birth to the boys. And I just I keep bumping into them like they're down downstairs having a coffee or you know they're on their break or whatever. So I've I've now seen a number of them and they're all just so thrilled to see the chub around his face and um, how much he's grown. So it's it's a really lovely thing for them to be able to to see that. And that was also one of the really nice things about the fact that they were twins and William, our other son, was discharged much much earlier than Jack, but. Um, he would, of course, come in and visit all the time. So, you know, he'd been discharged after only three or four weeks or something, but he kept coming back in to visit his brother Jack and the, he was just the talk of the town with the nurses. They were always joking about how they'd steal cuddles and compete for his cuddles um, because they don't often get to see a big squishy bubby keep coming back in. So that was really nice.
0: Oh, that's so good. I'm holding back. I'm actually holding back some tears, I'm not going <laughs> to lie i um yeah i i you you guys have done such a great job and i haven't even met you and i don't really know you that well and i'm just like your story is enough for me to have so much respect for you guys so just yeah you keep doing keep doing what you're doing because it just sounds absolutely amazing and yeah keep we want to obviously keep in touch and, and hear how how all the travels are going but um look i think um the next question that I have for you would be again the, the experiences that you've got is you had a scenario but you also had a, a vaginal birth can you run us through the differences and the healing and perhaps maybe if you had a preference of either one because I yeah. do see a lot of in the twin mum groups that I'm in it's very different with twins because a lot of doctors are actually giving the choice to the mum mm, to have yeah. vaginal or caesarean. But obviously mm. going with vaginal, if one or two or either of the babies are breached, some doctors mm. will give it a go, some won't. So a lot mm. of mums I see comments are like, what should I do? Which one should I pick? And and I don't think you can yeah. really say that abroad that, yep, you should go with this one. Mm. But can you go through the differences yes that you experienced and the healing and how you felt out of each of them?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I had a vaginal birth with the girls at the more local hospital. It was an uncomplicated pregnancy apart from like I was crook as a dog in terms of hypermesis gravidarum, which is like the -the over-the-top vomiting that just doesn't stop. But like in terms of the girls' development and the like, it was an uncomplicated pregnancy. And twin one, so the presenting twin, was head down. Twin two was sideline. So throughout the pregnancy, there was very little discussion about what the birthing options were because at the hospital that I was at, it was all about whether or not twin one was head down or breech. If twin one was breech, my understanding was I wouldn't have been offered the vaginal birth at that hospital that they would have recommended a see But because twin one was head down and there were no other concerns necessarily about my health or their health they said it was my call if I would like to try it Um, but they strongly recommended an epidural um, which I've heard around the traps is really quite common that there are obstetricians who will do the presenting twin head down vaginal birth if the woman will agree to an epidural often seems to be one of their sort of conditions if you can put it that way. So I went into um, spontaneous labour with the girls. So my waters just broke at 34 weeks um, and things seemed to be progressing really well. So the labour was going smoothly um, and we had no cause for concern and we were just within the boundaries of what that hospital will allow. So what you were referring to earlier with the, um, you know, some hospitals have cutoffs, for example, in terms of size or gestation. Our hospital would take us from 34 weeks onwards and so I was just past that. So the Labor actually progressed pretty quickly to the extent that we took everyone by surprise. I was there for monitoring after my waters broke, but they didn't really realize that I was in active labor until I was well and truly in active labor. Um, And so it was almost too late to get the epidural in and the epidural didn't really cover the birth of the first twin. So that was fine because I was willing to go along with the advice understood why they recommended the epidural, but also wanted some benefits of movement throughout the labour for pain management and just for progressing the labour. So I was quite comfortable with, you know, trucking along without the epidural for most of the labour, and then I had the sort of epidural at the last minute, and that thankfully covered me for the birth of twin two um, because she was... The reason they recommend the epidural for a natural or a vaginal twin birth is... They don't really know what twin two is going to do once twin one is born. They can do all sorts of somersaults and end up any which way. So Lola ended up staying sideways and I had a lot of people pushing on my, like the midwives were all like trying to manually manipulate her position. And in the end, the obstetrician just had to go arm in um, and pull her out. And so you'd really want an epidural for that sort of experience, I think. The recovery was quite good. And I think if I do have to have a preference for one version of a birth over another, it was the vaginal birth because the recovery to me was much more straightforward. And the process to me felt more comfortable. That being said, Caesar the second time around, I chose within a heartbeat because the advice was, well, they were both breech, So the likelihood of having an effective vaginal birth with two breach babies, I've understood, is very low. But also Jack was just so, so growth restricted and so small at that point that the doctor outright said to me that there was a risk he would not survive a vaginal birth. So in those sorts of circumstances, it was not even a decision. It was just like, well, that's what we're doing. So whilst my preference certainly for an uncomplicated head down twin birth would be a vaginal birth, there are medical indications for caesars that absolutely I would follow in a heartbeat. And I guess that's the decision for people to make. There is some research that suggests that sometimes doctors are a little bit vaginal birth avoidant if they are perhaps being a little bit risk averse and they'll recommend a caesar even when there aren't any particular complications or even if the baby's head down. So I guess for anyone considering the decision when the option is put to them is just to ask a whole bunch of questions, understand why they are recommending something Is it because there is a risk? What is that risk? How likely is that risk? And so, even though I did have a very positive experience with a vaginal birth the first time, it was situational and we absolutely, I was very comfortable with the Caesar the second time. That means that I didn't like the process of the Caesar. I felt awfully dizzy. It felt terribly clinical. The recovery for me was far worse than the recovery from a vaginal birth. And to be honest, I don't know why anyone would pick. Caesar, because to me, I just really didn't enjoy the process. But people have their reasons for it. It's controlled, so it feels safe. It's expected. It has arguably less opportunity to go ways that you couldn't imagine. For example, all sorts of complications can pop up that perhaps you don't expect in a vaginal birth, in a vaginal twin birth at least. So there are certainly merits, and you just need to think through what advice you're being given and why you're being given that
0: advice I think that's a great way of explaining it is it really does come down to your doctors and you know you can always go and get a second opinion if you're not happy with what you're having a conversation with your doctor about it should be a two-way conversation with your doctor it shouldn't just be straight down the line you're doing this no options (laughs) unless like of course there's some great medical reasons behind it of course, but. Um, Mm. I think it does come down to that conversation and and past history as well. So I'm booked in for a C-section next week, but my doctor from the beginning was like, because I had a C-section for my son. So Mm. it was, she went through the risks of hemorrhaging and all those kind of things. Yeah, Yeah. And and I think also our listeners need to also maybe also think about is there are a lot of women that will start with a vaginal birth and yeah. then end up with a yeah, emergency c-section c-section for the second which i never even knew <laughs> was a thing so that's also I a possibility all
2: have to go both. right
0: to to healing oh. at once I, I as soon as oh, I found cool. that out I went and told all my mum friends and they were just like their faces just dropped like ghosts <laughs> so yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. yeah so be I mean, be the mindful the only
2: thing worse than birthing two babies is birthing them different ways right in one here just the recovery must be horrendous I know I can't um, imagine those mums <laughs> Yeah, and that's that's a consideration, right? So, you know, you have to feel comfortable enough going in. If you if you want to go into a vaginal birth, you have to accept that there's a possibility you'll end up in an emergency caesar anyway. And so they are all considerations that you need to weigh up. So I, I was pleased with my decision the first time and I was pleased with my decision the second time. And as you say, it should be a conversation. And even with the risks being so great to Jack in the second birth, Uh, if I had wanted it vaginally, um, it was still a discussion. No one ever said you must have a caesar. It was your child would be at risk of not surviving a vaginal birth. So (laughs) as if you're going to say, all right, fine, I'll give it a crack. Um, But it was still a discussion and it was still one that was, at the end of the day, our call and valued our input. And that's, I guess, the main thing when it comes to healthcare.
0: And and that's the perfect situation. uh, As long as you're comfortable with your decision and your doctor is, Either gently guiding you through the risks, or you know, maybe gently pushing you to a to a yeah. making a choice, but they're not dictating how your birth will go and, and how it will be. So I think that's 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 how you should feel when you're in that doctor's office having to if you have to make a choice in these situations. Yeah. But so, did you have anything that you wanted to sort of raise or bring up, or sort of any new mums out there, any advice that you would sort of give them? whether it be identical twins, fraternal twins, or all the experiences that you've gone through, really?
2: Yeah, I guess my main piece of advice is just to give things a crack. Once those babies are here, don't shut yourself away and feel like it's too difficult to get out and try to live the life that you want to live. I think I've seen in some instances people feeling really overwhelmed by the idea of trying to get out of the house with two babies or do a particular activity with two babies, or even be on their own with their two babies. And the only way you will ever build your confidence is by doing it, going, oh, hell, that didn't work. I'm going to do that differently next time, and working out what is achievable and working out what systems you can put in place to make things work. So with our girls, we went on road trips, we went to music festivals, we went out, dinner we tackled the shopping center like the more you do it the more confident you become the more you work out how to make those things work and because isolation is something that I just think is a real risk zone when you're in the thick of those first 12 to 18 months with twins like you could easily lock yourself in a house and just breastfeed all day or bottle feed all day and not do anything more than that. But that's not an experience that is likely to be fulfilling. So just do what you can to have a go. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. It's not the end of the world. Um, What's the worst that's gonna happen? Just really have a go at all those things that feel really difficult because you'll realize you can do them. They won't be easy. You'll feel like, why is this so damn hard? I wish things were smoother than this. I wish I didn't have to be this organized. I wish I didn't have to pack so much damn stuff, but it's worth it. And it gets better is the main thing. I see our four-year-old girls and they're such a blessing for this stage with the boys because I can see how good it gets. It's awesome watching like three, four-year-olds as twins. It's just the best thing. They're just such great mates and they have the most beautiful interactions that I just get to see constantly. So it gets really good. Oh,
0: that honestly, that makes me very excited for what is to come in our journey. But it's been amazing to hear about your journey. There's so much more that we could keep talking and talking. So we'll probably end up getting you coming back at some point down oh. the track, you know, especially when when we have the first birthdays coming up later in the year. So, but in the meantime. I'm probably going to reach out to you directly when I have any questions. So I feel like this has <laughs> been worth this has been worthwhile just for me to have a connection, you know, once our twins arrive next week. So I just want to say thank you very much for your time and sharing your personal story and journey. And we just, we honestly, we wish you all the
2: best. Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: Um, yeah, i just like to, you know, reiterate what Nat said. So thank you so much for joining us. There was so much great information to hear just then. And I'm sure our listeners... We'll really appreciate your journey, your story and the advice you've given us.
0: Thank you. Awesome.
1: If you have any questions for us here at Twinning Australia Podcast, please feel free to send us an email. Our email address is twinningaustraliapodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can get in touch with us via our social media accounts, Facebook at Twinning Australia Podcast and Instagram Twinning Australia, all one word. Thanks for listening and we hope to hear from you soon.